We're like the, uh, the uh, what's the thing with the, the three, the Cerberus? What? Oh, what the three-headed three dog. Musketeers? There we go. Oh, musketeers. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 263 for the week of August 13th, 2019. I am Hubcap Dinner, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Boston Crab, Sarah D. Bunting. I uh, think you should count me out, kid. Beatdown Biddy, Tara Ariano. Vagina slot machine joke. And Liza Minnelli impersonator, Adam Grossworth. Will a fossey neck do it? <laughs> Welcome to Extra Hot Great. Couple of warnings up top. I have a cold, so I may cough. This mic will not let me mute it. I will try to keep that. Oh, time for another tar update. Hey, if I didn't say you would get mad at me for coughing on mic, so I can't win, can I? You have no concept of the depth of my ire. <laughs> We are here this week to talk about Glow, uh, and joining us is our dear friend, Adam Grossworth. Hello, Adam. 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 Hello. I apologize to both Liza Minnelli and Kristen Wiig for whatever came out of my mouth in the intro. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about the entire season three of Glow, so there may be spoilers coming anon. But first, let's talk about it in a general sense. Adam, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on was both A, because you watch the show and like it, and B, because this season... Uh, moves lo- the location and the setting to a stage show. And since you are a, are a stage expert, how do you think the sh- <laughs> this season did with the stagey aspects of the production? Uh, really well. Um, in mostly in ways I don't want to talk about till we start spoiling, but um, you know, I just, it was, I liked seeing the whole thing change after like the first two seasons were feeling a little bit samey and I like the way they change that. And then I like the way that they then get out of that rut about halfway through the season, like the mm-hmm. new rut that they got into. Yep. Um, and being in Vegas, there's also all of this other entertainment happening around them, which I, I loved all of the glimpses into that, that we see both large and small. Yeah. I thought it was fun that they, they created this, this fictional hotel where the, sh- the glow stage show is happening called the Fantan. And then they like sort of create lore around it too. Mm-hmm. Like they have a performer singing a song about, you know, performing at the Fantan, which is very meta. Uh, Sarah, this is the most you've watched of Glow other than when we make you watch it for the canon. What are your uh, your big impressions of season three? Um, I have now watched the entire series. Yeah! Um, <laughs> uh, you, I'm cured. You did it. <laughs> you did it. Um, yeah, I'm so I started, happy for you. Um, so am I. I started watching it at the beginning um, with... Dan and Dan mm-hmm. really loved it. And, um, Dan is Ruth, but yep. a boy. So, um, <laughs> the, like there were some episodes from the earlier seasons that we would just, you know, it, we would be flipping over to the next episode and he would ask to pause it and then he would just sit there contemplating <laughs> the actor <laughs> bullshit that he found so very relatable. Mm-hmm. And so did I. And he's like, how can you stand that character? She's so depressing. I'm like, I've married her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. It's it's fine. He's he's not he's not that bad. Um, I love the show. Season three. I think season three made some changes that were like necessary from a sort of meta standpoint, not just to make the show less samey, but also because there's only so much wrestling that these performers can do 
before right. they start having the same repetitive stress injuries that real quote real wrestlers have. Um, but I did, I did feel like not only was the actual wrestling off stage and the, um, they keep referring to the rut that the show is in, but mm-hmm. that's sort of off stage and whole storylines would just be off stage for a couple episodes at a time, which I guess is like realistic quote unquote to real life, but felt not, um, it just was a little like choppy and unsatisfying for me. I felt like season two really was in the sweet spot of balancing the comedy and some of the serious stuff that was going on. Mm -hmm. And this felt a little more like they were really leaning into the dramatic stuff, which, you know, this is a capable cast and these are interesting storylines, but the balance felt like it might've tipped over too far. By the end. Yeah, I agree. Some of them, it felt like they were picking them up and then putting them down again and forgetting about them uh, until the very end. Dave, what are your high level impressions of season three? I was like over halfway through it. I was thinking to myself, is this going to be like season three, the wrestling show that contains absolutely no wrestling? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. fine with it. Kind of. Yeah. Part of it was that, as Sarah was saying, after two seasons of seeing them, you know, get their wrestling chops and seeing how the show forms, we feel like we've, we're done with that from how wrestling informs who they are to just the processy part of learning about how wrestling operates ground covered. So I was happy that they took the move to Vegas to sort of put the wrestling part in stasis because, you know, they're, they're performing the same show night after night. It's a stage show. So that gave them sort of the mechanism and permission to go offset and do more character study and, and, and get into the gritty on some characters they haven't before. And it pays really good dividends, um, which I think might be our cue to start talking about actual events in the show. So be warned, spoilers coming for Glow Season 3 from this point on. Okay, so we because we moved to Vegas, we meet a lot of the characters at the Fantan Resort and Hotel. One of the most important being Bobby Barnes, played by Kevin Cahoon, um, who does a celebrity drag impersonation show with the glorious name of Icons. <laughs> I love that so much. So perfect. Which I think I think there is a real show in Vegas, oh, a real drag God. show called Good. That. Um So the first time we see him do crowd work with the gorgeous ladies, he calls Sheila the most interesting person in here. And so, Adam, at the end of season three, do you agree with that assessment about Sheila? I mean, probably. I, I mean, to, it goes back to what Dave was saying about or what. Well, you all were saying about there being sort of too many characters. Um, and I like that they chose Sheila as one to pull out of the crowd. Um, Talk a little bit about what her story is for this season. What, so, what I mean, different? long story short, she, she stops being a wolf. And, you know, we, we learn more about her. She sort of finds herself as a performer and, um, and she decides that she wants to be an, like a serious actor. Um, and the fact that that sort of comes out of her meeting Bobby, I find very sweet and very believable, right? He's, He's this sort of aging, slightly lonely drag queen who cuts through her bullshit and, you know, that they form a friendship. I I was really moved by. And to what we were saying about them getting out of a couple of ruts, like Sheila was a character that, you know, maybe that, that bit was maybe played out, Mm -hmm. um, the, the wolf stuff. Um, and I also kind of love that we never really find out why or how that happened unless I'm forgetting something from a previous season, right? It's not orange is the new black. We're not going to get a whole flashback about her. It's just. (laughs) You know, this is who she is, and I totally accepted that, and they pulled it off, and then they also, I thought, pulled off stopping it and, and having her 
really grow in an interesting way. Well, they'd really done a good job with that character. I thought like using her just enough. Um, and also uh, like if anyone else here has watched UHF and like Anthony Geary's character at the end turns out to have spoiler been an alien the whole time. Not that I need to put a spoiler warning for UHF. Nobody cares. And it's a million years old, but just in case here's a connection. I didn't think we we're going to make at the start of this episode, but please proceed. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I saw that coming either. Tell you the truth, but uh, it just like, it's not explained. And he's like, he gets on the ship and leaves. And I thought that the show felt that it was always possible that Sheila would just like, yeah you know like that that the wolf in the um the episode where she swoons from dehydration is like actually her like that's her pack and she just disappears and everyone's like well we knew that was going to happen um but yeah i really loved that that character's um evolution and it felt very natural but that was one of the few characters bash and Rhonda and that whole track being another that i felt like they were consistent and um organized and they had a plan and a lot of other stuff i felt like maybe they didn't which is okay but like why why are we seeing this shit with justine oh i like that i thought that was interesting i to me that that was that supported the I mean, it sort of bolstered the Ruth Sam story as well, but also like the the way that they dropped it felt purposeful to me in that case because it just highlighted that the real love story at the end of the season was not about Ruth and Sam. It was about Ruth and Debbie. I mean, I guess like I I don't have a problem with Ruth and Sam. (laughs) What are we supposed to call that? Ram? Yeah. (laughs) Sooth. (laughs) Forsooth. Um, I feel like those actors do not have quite the chemistry that they need for this to happen. And it is kind of a, you know, right place, wrong time thing that you could believe in real life that it was just like a set thing and it wouldn't, it wouldn't continue once, once that initial, um, once that initial spark failed to light anything, you could see that they're just going to drop it. But, um, I don't know. What did, what did you guys think of? how that storyline was handled and do you think they should continue with it in a season four if there is one just don't make them kiss again that's all it goes oh god that was (laughs) that was so bad it was so it was like fake and wrong disgusting and creepy all the same weird mustache i bought it no you didn't no i bought and i am no fan of mark maron in any capacity but i i i found it I found him pining for her really heartbreaking. That scene in the hot tub, mm-hmm. like, really got me. Did not need them to actually get together in any way. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Exactly. I'm not mad about it. Like, I, I, I believe one of the things that I really like about Ruth as a character and the performance is that, like, I, she could be so cringy, but there's an earnestness there that makes me really like her. And, and I could, I can see her going for that, whether it would last or not, you know, is another story, but. I, I can see her being in that position and being like, oh, you know, this man who's given me this job, not that that's, you know, not in a sexual harassing way, but like this man who's given me this new phase of my life has told me he's in love with me and, you know, seeing where that would go. I can see her doing that. The part of the Marin storyline that uh, uh, struck a chord with me was when he was playing tennis in episode three, after he, <laughs> they have the match with the Sklar brothers as the, you know, the producer twins. Um, he has a match with um, Bash. 
And uh, he's just getting pummeled. And at a certain point, he says, fuck that. Fuck you. And I recently went to this uh, floor hockey match, this open league floor hockey match. And like within 10 minutes, I was on the ground. I had fucked up my knee. It was bleeding everywhere. I still have water on the knee. I've never felt older than I have in that moment because I was like, you know, there's everybody from like 25 year olds up to like people 10 years older than I am. And they're all running around the rink. And here I am 10 minutes later on the floor, like almost crying because like I'm, I'm so out of shape. I can't do anything. I don't know how to walk anymore. And I was just like in that moment where he's just like, all right, everything in the world, fuck the world. I can't play tennis anymore. I was like, yeah, I hear you. I've been there, buddy. <laughs> I don't mind uh, him and Ruth together. I just don't want them to kiss anymore. That's all. Just the physical act, the the actual mechanics of them kissing seemed like it was like Lego and Duplo and somebody's trying to make them fit and they don't. Yeah, that was, that was Ruth. And I, I'm not entirely sure that it was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> Can we rewind to the first episode and what everybody thought of the Challenger explosion as the anchor? Oh, I loved it so much. I was I was surprised. The only problem I had for that whole first episode is I'm not quite sure what they were doing with the cold open end. Well, isn't the point of the episode the show must go on? Like sometimes those awkward things happen and not everything that you do can reflect current events. I mean, that's how I took it. Mm. I like that we don't see the end of the scene. Right, that it 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 stays awkward, and we don't get to see how they get <laughs> yeah. out of it, and that's what the cutaway to the credits did. I mean, I, yes, I think that song is a strange choice to play in that moment. Um, but I Betty Gilpin's face in that scene, mm-hmm. like where she so has no good. line, she's just reacting. They don't show us the video. Um, I that was like the moment because I, I like the show a lot. I don't I don't think I like it as much as Tara does based on your scream earlier. Um, and like, that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here for this season. Just, just that face acting. Um, I also really appreciate how they use the eighties references. Like they're pretty chill about it, stranger things. And so like they, they, they start with a big one. And then from there it's like, okay, it's 1986. We got it. Yeah. That's unintrusive. I agree. There were a few, like, during the um, tennis match episode, they're like, this young kid, what's his name? And I'm like, yeah. it's Agassi. We fucking mm-hmm. get it. Like, who is that even for? Me and John Ramos. Thanks. Um, but yeah, for the most part, that's very, that's very gently done. Since we're going back to episode one, let's talk about the other big Vegas character that gets introduced this season, which is... Sandy Devereaux St. Clair, played by Gina Davis. She's the entertainment director at the Fantan. I, I love everything about her first scene, the, the economy of her introductory speech and how it tells us so much about her is like really masterfully written where we find out it just in that one speech. She's been here forever. She used to be a showgirl. Her dance captain's name was Fluff Lecoq. Only problem with this story this season is we never got to meet her. Fluff Lecoq is like my favorite thing that has ever happened. So good. <laughs> she's just like she's this this vet and she, you know, everyone's upset about the challenger, so she pulls a fake fire alarm to reset everybody and get them back in and hand out free chips and champagne and get them playing again. And I just love what they did with her throughout the season. I thought she was deployed very uh, effectively for me. Yeah. There's a scene where she's drinking straight gin. Mm-hmm. No ice, no vermouth, <laughs> just pouring gin into a glass. <laughs> made me happy. Every one of her outfits made me happy. Especially her showgirl outfit oh at the benefit. Oh, my God. Yes. 
yet the world building that they do in this season is really I th- possibly my favorite part of yeah. it. And like bringing in, I mean, it, it is weird. We've t- now said this three times, but like the main ensemble is so big. There were, there were scenes, there were only a few scenes with all of them in them where they were not in their wrestling costumes. And I literally didn't know who some of them were. I mean, I figured it out, but, um, but then like Bash's mom comes back for what, two episodes? Just one. Just one. And she's perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and so th- they're choosing to spend their time really wisely, I thought. Um, but it, it, it did give short shrift to some of the other folks. Well, since you brought her up, let's talk about the Bash and Rhonda storyline. Oh, uh, how, Adam, Bash. how do you think they did with it? And talk a little bit about what happens with them. I, I love this is going to get super spoilery if you're still listening and you don't want that. Um, you know, I thought in season one, I thought that Bash was gay and out, if not to his mother, then, you know, to other people. And then it, that got really weird and twisted last season. And then to learn this season that it was actually like this incredibly slow burn of character development. Um, I mean, I loved it as a viewer. It broke my heart. The finale was amazing. And I've always, I've liked that actor a lot. I've, I've seen him on stage. I liked Piz. Um, but this was like another level for him. I thought um, fully blanking on his name. Sorry. If you're listening, Chris, why Lowell. would you be? Thank you, Chris Lowell. You're great. Um, and that it, it gave so much for Rhonda to play also, um, you know, another character who was, sort of a, a mystery for a long time. And, and I think we just learned so much about both of them um, in a way that I found very realistic for both who they are as people and 1986. Mm-hmm. And I really loved it. I, th- I thought it was interesting how they built it over the season that he, he and Debbie are coming to blows because they're, they're having this power struggle and he's sort of coming into his own in a business sense that he never, you know, anticipated that he would. And then Bertie comes and it sort of, it just unsettles everything and she she clearly knows what he's about and and like his, he's been obsessed with wrestlers since he was a kid and there's some ambiguity about that too like maybe part of it was is the costumes and stuff right. um but then when she's saying goodbye to Rhonda once she's figured out that Rhonda did not marry him for his money then she tells her only keep him interested whatever that means to you mm-hmm. and that's like it's like a curse on their relationship sort of, but I mean, also good advice if what she's really saying is like, this is as much of him as you're going to get. So like hang on to him however you can, because he can't, this is the best that I can, I I can have for him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And that scene with Bobby where he's like, Oh, Oh, you're, you're you're not. Oh, whoops. (laughs) Right. That felt very real. Um, And the, the scene with, the hustler was hot. Yeah. Like, let's, let's not but it was also over that. heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That she like the look on her face that was just played perfectly that she's like, I'm turned on, but also a maw has opened yeah. in this room and I'm falling into it. Like, I mean, yeah. And Chris Lowell acted that perfectly also just very conflicted. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was great. And I thought, um, there was a moment in season two, just sort of like he's sitting by the pool, like contemplating Florian and his acting in this part of his um, story has been excellent. But also the the fact that he's able to kind of do this heel turn on the business side with Debbie mm-hmm. is impressive also. Mm-hmm. 
Debbie is forever my favorite. Um, and she had so much great stuff to work with this season. And the, the way that it ends with, with Bash, like being so drunk that he accidentally confesses to her about what happened, not in so many words, but she's not an idiot and she pieces it together. And then, uses this moment where he's like, just tell me what to do. And after she's just had this conversation with her boyfriend, Tex, the great Toby Huss, where he's, he's been, you know, having her along on these business luncheons and drinks and stuff. And she's figured out about his business and is going to steal his, his purchase of a TV station. And then she, he says he, Tex had already told her, I don't want you to be part of that part of my business life because I can get ugly and ruthless. And then Debbie is ugly and ruthless in this moment of like sort of taking advantage of Bash in this moment of incredible vulnerability that's also going to probably be good for him in the long run, but also is very opportunistic. That was, that was a confusing one for me. Yeah. I like that we're not, you know, we're often supposed to find her like frustrating and unlikable, yeah. but in ways that are relatable. Um, I, I do think that the show may have a better idea of how to do that with her and keep things moving forward than mm-hmm. they do with Ruth. For sure. Um, yeah. Possibly yeah. because, I mean, Alison Brie can play a, a lot of things that on paper are probably annoying like her community character historically on paper you're like eh, eh, and then she's always she's always fun not that i watch a lot of community but when i do i'm always yeah. impressed mm-hmm. that she can pull this material into her star basically but i i mean i think the show if it continues needs to figure out why like a why it's still making her this not self-destructive that's too strong but you know what i mean the, the difference is is that she's very stubborn with her goal like you're talking about ruth yeah ruth, ruth at the end of the season like ruth wants to be an actor and she's still following that dream and her best friend is there saying like that part of your life is over if you would have done it you would have done it by now and she in contrast is very flexible and opportunist with where she's going in life so that the writers, they can do more with her because she doesn't have that stubborn career mindedness that Ruth has just gives them more freedom to move her around the chessboard. The one thing about the end of the episode that kind of gave me pause or the end of the season is how they're resetting the show again, you know, like like it's gone from uh, the wrestling show ended at station one and then, Horatio Sands popped in and then disappeared from the universe, apparently, season three. I don't know <laughs> even explain that. Yeah, ge- generally a good and then generally good thing. And, yeah, and now they're moving on to a new station. And it feels a little Silicon Valley-y to me, this sort of like build, reset, repeat mechanism. So I'm hoping in the next season they can figure out a way to really move everything forward. And that might mean the end of the wrestling portion of it, which isn't like necessarily a bad thing like i don't think people are tuning in for the wrestling itself you know when they're tuning in for these people that were at one time all kind of lost souls who met in this wrestling arena so that'll be something interesting to see for the next season where they where they take that and if they can kind of uh avoid that silicon valley you know cycle that i found kind of frustrating yeah i just think what this season established so well was that what ruth wants is to be an artist and Mm -hmm. she's had a lot of doubts about that but you know seeing sheila's kind of journey has reinvigorated it 
that for her, but what Debbie, Debbie is less interested in that. Debbie wants power. And mm-hmm. so this, to me, this makes, this arc makes sense for both of them. I don't know. I, I get it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm just not sure that, like, I absolutely agree that the real love story is between those two women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like maybe the old will they or won't they stalling trap may have been fallen into in that finale like i just wasn't entirely sure that ruth would be that um determined to reject uh what debbie is telling her but yeah uh, and then again it was consistent with her sort of real frustrating stubbornness over over the course of the season so i don't know that debbie would be that harsh about the way she said that either that I bought both sides of that. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. She was in a hurry. That's like, true. And she, getting she on also a plane. felt like, you know, this is this, that felt like Debbie, you know, cruel to be kind that, yeah. that tracks with, that's true. With her, yeah. I, I mean, she had that exchange with Tex earlier in the episode where she was like, not that I could ever tell Ruth this, but then in that moment, it's like, I have to say it because you're about to get on a plane. Like I can't, I can't come up with the right way to massage this for you to hear it properly. You know? Yeah. But if she had been present at or known about what happened with Sam outside the bar, mm-hmm. she might have been like... Right, that's true. Yeah, we have knowledge she does not have. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, you asked up top about the, the theater of it all. And, uh, you know, I think that they they did a really good job of capturing what a long run is. Yeah. Without yeah. showing us the long run, right? Like, they're professionals. Mm-hmm. I think we can assume the show is good or is what it is, is consistent. Um, but that, that time-lapse montage with Ruth in the dressing room was great. And just lots of subtle things that aren't discussed, that they hang out a lot at the beginning of the season, and then they mm-hmm. don't by the end. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all a little sick of each other. Um, and I thought that played into sort of both Ruth and Debbie's arcs. And, and you know, to Dave's point, what does that mean? Like, will making a new show excite them or or not? Will they get new people? You know, you, you do replace cast members. Um, all of that. I mean, all the stuff with Teme being injured mm-hmm. um, and how to find like something new that she can do, I thought was really interesting and moving and felt very real. There was a very strange, all that jazz like <laughs> shot for shot homage, which yes. I didn't really understand, but okay. <laughs> I loved um, it. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it, but I was like, why are we doing this? Um, but yeah, I mean, so, like the performance reports that Ruth is writing, like <laughs> all of that, stuff and of course like ruth would do that like she's that theater nerd who would do that and like they don't have a stage manager and they don't have a wardrobe person and it's all like really half-assed um i appreciated that yeah i just mostly liked i mean as frustrating as it was to see some stories kind of left open ended i also appreciated that you know i didn't get the sense that the showrunners are in all of those cases, just giving up on them. It felt like, you know, stuff doesn't always get resolved in this, in the span of a TV season. And so some of the stuff will, if God willing, touching wood right now, if there's a season four, this, this stuff will get explored in more detail. And so I, I appreciated that some of that was just, that's how life is. And, you know, Sam had a heart attack and hasn't told anyone that's how life is too. Sometimes, you know, like I thought I, that made sense to me. Just because we shit on Rose Leslie so much, uh, I learned watching this that the actress who plays Sheila is Scottish. Get out of here. What? So rare, rare accent cop, uh, you know, whatever, reward. Crepes. 
Oh my God. I never would have known good that. Good for her. When Sabrina, the grown up witch, airs on Netflix, they got somebody to play her. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was a this was a delightful season. I'm glad I watched every episode three times. I'm sure this will not be the last for me. So, um, yay! I'm mostly glad that finally Sarah has watched the whole thing and and has known this joy in her life. Um, yeah, I'm actually at uh, Fort Lobster right now. So Dan and I had to stop watching it together, and I had to do my um, sprint to the finish line, which was not a hardship. I was like thinking about the show all the time when I was not watching it. So mm-hmm. like, I love the show, um, and yay. I told dan like you know just go ahead and watch it on your own which he like won't do but i was like i'll watch these again when when i get home i'll watch them again with him it's a it's a really good show and the the things that frustrate me about it are because i'm like so in it with these characters that yeah that it's coming from a place of just wanting more of everything so yeah Netflix, it's so don't rich do and every i mean especially in contrast to like four weddings and a funeral which we were talking about last week there, every time I think I know where it's going, it doesn't. So I appreciate that it it continues to surprise me. Uh, final thought, just uh, sort of on the same tip as uh, Adam's accent award. There is a scene <laughs> in episode four where they go into a pawn shop. I was so happy they did not do the thing that so many shows do, where they look at the year they're set, and somehow everything in that world is only from <laughs> that year. That pawn shop yeah. had, like, black and white TVs from the 70s, and, like, you uh-huh. know, cameras new and old, and all that kind of stuff. Like, you have to live in the world that you create, and your world can't mm-hmm. be just a micro slice of the very moment that you're in. So I just wanted to give him props for that. It is time to go around the dial. First up, Tara Ariana. I watched the first two episodes of a new Netflix docu-series called The Family. Friends, did you know that uh, evangelicals control the government from shadowy organizations that few of us know anything about? It's true. <laughs> this is what the show is about. This journalist named Jeff Charlotte uh, has written a book about this organization that is like loosely called The Family or sometimes The Fellowship. Like it's so mysterious that it doesn't even like have an official name. But broadly speaking, it revolves around this guy, Doug Coe, who took it over in 1969. Nice. And um, and has continued from there to like infiltrate the highest levels of government and influence people in sort of shady ways. And, you know, if you ever wondered who runs the national prayer breakfast, that's this, this guy. Um, it's fine. It has, uh, it has, a you know, interviews with talking heads and people that were, you know, sympathetic to the group, people who were more dubious about it, journalists who have covered it in various ways over the years. Uh, and then it also has reenactments, which have things like James Cromwell in a, f- terrible wig playing Doug Coe and really doesn't even look like him at all. So that's strange. Also, the guy who was the high talker on Seinfeld is in it as like one of these shady evangelical politicians. So that took me out of it because he's the high talker. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's not in the upper tier of docuseries that I've watched on Netflix. I'll say that a lot of this is like it, it has a lot of foreboding music and like style choices and stuff but ultimately after watching the first two episodes which i did with my sister both of us were like yeah like you know this isn't this isn't so far seem like it's blowing the lid off anything like oh these guys are super into jesus but also cheat on their wives constantly what like you know (laughs) 
it's that mm. kind of thing. So it's like, it's sort of interesting, but I may not finish it because so far what I'm seeing is sort of like a shrug. So I, if you have watched the whole thing, um, hit me up on Twitter and let me know if I should finish it. If it gets more scandalous than this, I am at T-A-R-A-A-R-I-A-N-O for my plugs. To just get back to Glow for one second, the reason that I have watched every episode of season three three times is that I wrote the, I recapped every episode for Vulture. Uh, all 10 of those went up over the past weekend. Um, so we will link to that in the show notes. I mentioned this last week, but, uh, now they are actually live with gifts, which I made. Um, and the sweet smell of succession, my podcast with, uh, Dave Chan about the HBO dramedy succession has also launched um with season two now that it's premiered um so you can hear us talk about the season two premiere which is called the summer palace uh now if you go to successionpodcast.com or wherever you find podcasts mr adam grossworth uh i think i did the same thing a year ago at this time. Uh, so you think you can dance is back for season 16. Uh, every year I am surprised when it shows up on my TiVo because I think it's been canceled. Uh, it's gotten shorter and shorter with less and less money, but it's still kicking literally. Um, it's great. As of this recording, the first regular episode aired uh, on Monday. So they're through with the auditions and, uh, the Academy Week, which is callbacks. Um, so it's down at the top 10. It's a perfect time to jump in because this is when, you know, the real competition starts and the real dancing starts. Um, this season's contestants are super young. Only one of them is not a teenager. Like they're all 18 and 19. So it's a little weird. I don't quite know why they did that. Um, but they're very endearing. They're trying really hard to build storylines and I, I don't really care. I just want to watch them dance. Um, it's always um, weird when a reality show gets to the point where the contestants on it are like, I used to watch this when I was a kid because <laughs> oh, they're yeah, 19. They're, I mean, they're all doing that now, right? Because because the, the yes. max age is 29 or 30. So even they're yeah. like, I watched it as a teenager mm. in their auditions. Um, but yeah, they were working really hard during the audition episodes to uh, make stories happen. And like, I don't care. I want to watch them dance. They're really good at it. And like, I am not a big reality show person anymore this is like the one this and drag race are like the two that have really hung on um in part because i there's just nothing else like them and i i never get tired of them so uh that is on fox on monday nights <laughs> sarah debunting um it is time for me to finally complete my sally wainwright created bingo card uh <laughs> i loved happy valley i love gentleman jack i loved loved scott and bailey so i am moving on to last tango in halifax in which uh, Alan and Celia reunite 50-odd years, excuse me, 60-odd years after a pre-Craigslist missed connection, missed connection, mm. and decide to get married after a single coffee and a car chase. Classic. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, international treasure Derek Jacoby stars Alan. Plus, there's a fair number of Wainwright repertory actors, including Sarah Lancashire from Happy Valley, Nicola Walker from A Big Storyline in Scott and Bailey. And I suppose I needn't specify that literally everyone on the show's IMDb page has turned up on Midsummer Murders at some <laughs> point because Midsummer Murders premiered in 1835. Uh, based on the first couple of episodes, there may be the kind of British class warfare an American viewer will get on a surface level, but not really get, get. 
like plotting engine that isn't going to be terribly interesting to me. And uh, some of the subplots up top, like I like Nicola Walker a lot, but I would really love watching her do something that doesn't require her to look like she's going to trauma barf all over camera too. Like <laughs> she's a perfectly good actor. Let her character be happy slash happy drunk for once, or at least more openly miserable instead of quite so English and cube poo looking about it. Uh, but these are minor quibbles. I'm going to keep on with it because there's uh, dumber things to be a completist about than Sally Wainwright's work. <laughs> and speaking of dumb things to be completist <laughs> about, I am launching a podcast called Quaid in Full in which I will rank and review along two axes, quality and quaidosity, every single thing that Dennis Quaid ever appeared in. Uh, yes, that includes that Bonnie Raitt video and Dragon Breath or whatever the fuck that thing was. Um I do need a little bit of financial aid from you, the prospective listener, because the Beretta episode in which he plays a sex worker is not available anywhere. And I'm literally having to have NBC Universal dub me a print because they're never going to rerun Beretta because problematic. Um, so you can find that at GoFundMe. There will be a link in a, the show notes and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in full pod. New episodes will drop next month. So Tara was gone for almost a whole week and I was all alone. And so I had to watch all of Glow by myself and then the canon thing we'll talk about in a second. And then I was done and I was bored and the house was quiet and lonely and the dogs were having nothing to do with me. Did he go get groceries? No. Well, he can't walk anymore because he's so old. That's right. That's true. So I fired up Netflix and I saw this thumbnail and I thought, well, I've heard absolutely nobody talk about this. It's got a guy. I know that face. It was uh, Eco Uwis, Uwis, uh, the guy from The Raid and The Night Comes for Us, the martial uh -huh. artist from, yep. from Asia. And I thought, all right, let's give this a chance. It is called Woo Assassins. Oh, yeah. Guys, it is it is not good. Guys, oh. I watched all 10 episodes. I can't recommend it, but I still watched all 10 episodes. It's kind of a conundrum. I don't know why. I got to the place I did where I was like, this show is terrible. There's nothing good about this show. Well, I guess I'll watch another one. So um, <laughs> l let me paint you a picture of how like the first episode went. It takes place in San Francisco, modern day. The police are very worried that Uncle Six, that's like the, uh, the crime boss in Chinatown, is going to go ballistic because there's other gangs coming in. The lead, Eco, who plays Kai, he's the chef. And at the start of the show, he's making this uh, bowl of noodles and he puts peanuts in it and they get sent out to the front. And it turns out one of the triad members that was at his restaurant to have some food is allergic to peanuts. And there's oh, this whole no. thing where he gets marked for death and now everybody in his life is in trouble. From a peanut allergy? Oh, also, Lagatha from Vikings is a undercover cop. And... Uh -huh. There's also, of course, in all of these, there's a kind storekeeper that worries about Kai all the time, gives him food and advice, all that kind of thing. Very by the numbers sort of setup. That is until uh, there's this one scene where Kai picks up a magic turtle shell that transports him into a world between worlds where he is tasked with becoming the 1,000th Wu assassin. He has to mm -hmm. save the earth by killing the five woos, fire woo, water woo, wood woo, earth woo, and metal woo. So it suddenly turned into this like 
<laughs> concept that sounds like it's a fun 1970s kung fu film, except it's not. Yeah. It's not. Mm. The special effects in this show just might be the worst I've seen on television in years. Like, I would favorably put up episodes of, like... Nightman. <sighs> That's what I was thinking. Uh, it's not Nightman. quite that bad, but if you fast-forwarded a couple years into, like, the syndication heyday of... Like Cleopatra 1082 and uh-huh. Xena and Hercules. Like it's sure. that level competency with their effects. Let me paint you a picture of one of the effects. There's this guy. He is named, I think it was the Earth Woo, and he was played by Michael from Legion. Oh, that Canadian guy that was in the strain. Yeah. Yes, that guy. He is the Earth Woo. He's living somewhere outside of San Francisco, like in the Moor, Moor Woods somewhere in a cabin. And he has excavated, probably through his Earth Woo powers, this big hollow under his cab. And he's got this uh, hiker that he captured down there. And she is getting this quiz from him asking like, it's like an aptitude quiz with such questions as if a rock fell on a fire ant farm, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? And she's like freaking out to think she's going to get, you know, slice and dice at any moment. And he's going through this like aptitude test to see if he can find the next earth woo to succeed him because he is dying. Anyways, she manages to escape kind of is let go. She runs away and then Earth Woo touches the ground and earthy stuff snakes out in sort of a POV scene to, to come and get her as she's running away. Like rocks come up, little dirt things come oh up. Oh no, Earth. They reach her and then she starts turning into stone. But like each piece of her turns into stone like she is being built out of mannequin pieces. Like there's no, there's like hard breaks in the effects. <laughs> leaving her face to last and she sort of falls down very much like that scene in er where carter and and carter's girlfriend gets stabbed Do you remember that episode lucy across in her vision her boyfriend who's been also turned to stone as her face turns to stone in like a wipe that doesn't quite match the stone eye with her real eye like when the effect goes over it kind of like moves down a couple pixels because it couldn't line it up correctly turns to stone wait half a beat and then a tear comes out of her eye and the tear is like it looks like something from the first release of mac os where they're doing those <laughs> lickety bubbly blue buttons everywhere it is so bad guys the effects are so bad and the acting is terrible too like that guy he was really good in the raid but when he has to do a lot of english dialogue it really uh, breaks down because he is not there yeah. yet like think about Aww. your first english jackie chan film like he is not even there yet and wouldn't be so bad if they a wrote that into the story which they didn't he's supposed to be from san francisco as far as i can tell in the story (laughs) he's like jason statham in every jason statham movie (laughs) and b he wasn't surrounded by actors um you know who are supposed to be his friends uh, also from chinatown and grew up together who speak perfectly fine english in the movie so you know they kind of like threw him under the bus um the producers here felt sorry for him the story is also terrible. Some pointless elements like how to poison a woo are given like minutes of simple talking in the camera exposition while other rules and events of the Wooniverse are oh, no. nonsensically oh. presented without comment. Like it's really, <laughs> it's like someone liked big trouble in little China, but thought maybe it was too much fun. Then they <laughs> made woo assassins. Mm. Well, that's too bad. Which brings me to this point. Dear Mr. President. There are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. 
I am not a crackpot. I am not a crackpot, but somebody should make a Big Trouble in Little Tiny TV show that is a direct present-day sequel to the movie with Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son, and his dad joining together, getting sucked back into the, the Chinatown mystic world and having adventures in there. Like, we know that guy can act. He's good. He's in Lodge 49, which is back on TV. We get him back. It's like Jack Burton and Jack Burton Jr. having adventures. It feels like the perfect Netflix kind of show where they can just make yep. eight of them a year, have their fun, you know, and then go do their other projects. I'm not a crackpot, but a Big Trouble Little China is the good thing that could come out of the terrible show that is Wu Assassins, although I watched 10 hours of it. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I don't know. It is time for an extra credit submission. This comes from Erica, who did the pilot game time recently. She calls it When the Emmys Meet the Tonys. And here is our charge. Which show from Days of Yore should have had a musical episode? What's the title of the episode? What's it about? Who in the cast had surprisingly good pipes? And what's the breakout song that no one can stop humming around the water cooler? I will go first. It had a space episode. It had a Titanic episode. But News Radio did not live long <laughs> enough to have a musical episode. Therefore, News Radio is my pick. What is it about? Everyone goes on a journey of self-discovery when the elevator breaks down and they all get trapped in the stairwell. Therefore, the title of the episode is Stairway to Heaven because the show oh. had lots of episodes named after <laughs> Led Zeppelin albums but didn't get to this song title yet. Who in the cast had surprisingly good pipes? Not a surprise because we all know it, but Phil Hartman. Rest in peace. And what's the breakout song that no one can stop humming around the water cooler? Matthew sings Bill a song of pure, abject sycophancy, Step on My Neck. Adam. <laughs> uh, okay, I kind of missed the of your in, in the brief. Um, eh. But technically, The Good Wife is no longer on the air. Uh, sort of an obvious choice given the cast. Um, but my episode is The Ballad of Colin Sweeney, uh-huh. in which... Uh, Tony Award nominee Dylan uh, Colin Sweeney, played by Tony Award nominee Dylan Baker, is in court yet again, uh, this time being sued for back alimony and defamation by his most recent ex-wives, played by Tony winner Laura Benanti and Tony winner Katrina Link. Uh, Sweeney is represented, as always, by Diane Lockhart, Tony winner Christine Baranski, and the ladies are represented by uh, Liz Reddick, Tony winner Audrey McDonald, (laughs) and the case is presided over by Judge Claudia Friend, Tony winner B.B. Newworth. The breakout song is performed during testimony on ballistic evidence presented by Holly Westfall, Tony nominee Megan Hilty, and it is, of course, called Let Me Be Your Star Witness. Yes! <laughs> Love it. Sarah. Um, I went with Cheers. This episode is called Can You Hum a Few Bars? And it's about a show, <laughs> Sam. The staff and the regulars decide to put on to fundraise after a mugger parts Sam from the nighttime deposit after hours, leaving him out hundreds of dollars and in a hospital bed. Woody's plaintive duet with Carla, Hoosier amongst us, doesn't leave a dry eye in the house, but it's when Cliffy tries to cheap out on the two drink minimum at the show that a full cast performance of Barn Burner Just the Tip shoots to number three on the (laughs) iTunes charts. Dave. 
Uh, I'm doing Star Trek Next Generation because it's been in my head for the past couple of weeks on Extra Hot Great. <laughs> uh, the plot is there's a holodeck malfunction and something, something. Aliens are communicating via videos that the crews must star in. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. So here's what everybody has to do. Uh, Picard has to do leader of the pack. And also <laughs> over the credits, there's a rap version of um, Darmac uh, at Tanegra when the walls fell with his buddy. <laughs> oh, my God. Riker yes. does. I did it for the Nookie. Uh, for some reason, this is the one I really want to see, and I'm not quite sure why, but uh, Data does Let's Hear It for the Boy. Uh-huh. Jordy does In Your Eyes. Worf uh, does whatever song has that thing where someone goes, Wah! that song, whatever that one is. Uh, I believe it's Slipknot. Okay. Troy does Feelings. Uh, O'Brien does Ghost Town because like, he's the engineer that makes everybody transports by the specials. Remember that song, Ghost Town? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Tasha Yar does Back in Black because you know he died <laughs> in the Black Ooze. And then uh, Dr. Crusher does a duet with Wesley Crusher somehow of Don't Speak from uh, <laughs> from What's the Harry Nuts. Mother Boy. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's where mine goes. I forgot to give it a title. So hit me up uh, in the comments with the title to this very, very special episode. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. Hello, it is time for the canon. Presenting this week is listener Sean. Take it away, Sean. Hi, Extra Hot Great. This is Sean, and I'm submitting Schitt's Creek Season 1, Episode 6, Wine and Roses. Schitt's Creek is a leisurely paced sitcom centering around the Rose family who've gone from a rich lifestyle to poor in the small town of Schitt's Creek. The arc of the show is the Rose family becoming acclimated to their new town, learning to love it, and ultimately becoming better human beings. The townies vacillate between rolling their eyes and being fascinated with their strange affectations. The episode begins with crappy motel hijinks with the phones. Notice Moira and David are almost always in black. Also notice Moira has a plethora of wigs with names that are attacked to the wall. She wears one of them in the meeting with Herb. Herb wants Moira, former soap actress on Sunrise Bay, to be the spokesperson for his fruit wines. 
Johnny is jealous. This is an, an opportunity for him. No, this tastes like something one should not put in their mouth. It's fruit wine. Whoever heard of fruit wine? Doesn't matter. It's a business. I'll make it work. It's next to a landfill, John. He said former landfill. Alexis flirts with Mutt, and David uh, thinks that he's having a heart attack. He goes to Stevie, who feigns concern for David's overreaction. So an hour ago, I thought I was having a heart attack. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not. Oh, um, according to WebMD, I'm having a pulmonary embolism, <laughs> which is much, much worse. Well, you look good. Then David goes to Hot Vet Ted to find out his heart attack is merely a panic attack. Meanwhile, Moira must bring the commercial copy up to her standards. Smoky tannins infuse this rich blend with a plummy bouquet. Plummy bouquet. Is this guy for real? His turns of phrase leave much to be desired, but the wine is potable. You called it liquid stink this morning. The whites seem less stinky. This episode also features some good snarky arguments between Alexis and David. They're really pretentious people, and they constantly name drop everything. Ew! Shh! Why is it dark? Shh! It's like a witch's house in here, David. Shush! What's going on? I am on day two of a panic attack, and I have not slept at all. Babe... You know that panic attacks aren't real, right? They're just things that celebrities make up to make them... No, I know. I thought so, too. But they are real. And I'm having one, apparently. Okay. By going to yoga, David realized he's actually really lonely and needs to do something with his life besides wait for their money to come back. The character of David has a lot of walls built up. So it's a big deal when Dan Levy lets those drop to show his true emotions. Having finally let his guard down, he falls asleep on Jocelyn. Moira breaks down doing the commercial. Catherine O'Hara is really awesome in this. I love her physical acting as well as her vocal acting. Hello, I'm Moira Rose. And if you like fruit wine as much as I do, discover a winery that pours care and craftsmanship into every glaze. Oh, I'm sorry. I wanted to say glass, but I was thinking case. That was great. Loved it. Uh, same energy. Back to one. Still rolling. Out of there, ladies. Still rolling. And when you're ready... Hold on, hold on, hold on. <clears throat> Action. Hello, I'm Moira Rose. And if you enjoy flute line as much as I do... <laughs> what? Uh, you said uh, flute line. Oh. oh, that is funny. No problem. Uh, back to ones. And when you're ready, action. Hello, I'm Moina Rose. And if you okay, let... Back to one, still rolling. Why? Why? You said Moina. Sure did. Are you sure? Yeah. So despite their pretensions, Johnny and Moira truly love each other. And when Moira is in trouble, Johnny is there to support her. Then there's the piece de resistance where a drunk Moira Rose soldiers through the inane copy of the final commercial. In the lee of a picturesque ridge lies a small, unpretentious winery, one that pampers its fruit like its own babies. Hi, I'm Moira Rose, and if you love fruit wine as much as I do, then you'll appreciate the craftsmanship and quality of a local vintner who brings the muskmelon goodness to his oak chardonnay and the dazzling peach crowd bat pull to his <laughs> whistling Rioja. Come taste the difference good fruit can make in your wine. You'll remember the experience, and you'll remember the name, Herb Erflinger, Bert Herngeif, 
Irv, Herblinger. Bing, Livehanger. Livelink, Bert Herkern. Bingo, Ling fucker. I love this show. It's consistently light and breezy, even as it reveals how sad and unconnected the roses were in their previous life. Honestly, I want to clip everything Catherine O'Hara says and does in this episode. She's hilarious and she needs an Emmy. The first few episodes of the show were rocky as they found their footing. Eventually, they found a good balance of Chris Elliott, who's a spice, not a main character, and not in this episode. I tell my friends to watch episode one and then skip to episode six to find out if you like the show. Everything Catherine O'Hara says in this episode is hilarious. I watch this one a lot, and that's why this is my episode for the canon. Am I the only one of us who watches Shit's Creek? I am not caught up. I'm I've I'm like a few episodes into season two. I, I dip in and out because I have to watch other stuff for work reasons. Um, well, I mostly chose it because I like it and I wanted to make you all watch it. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a little weird when I saw on the list that it was a season one episode. I think the conventional wisdom is that the show really picks up in season two, um, which Sean touched on, um, you know, that the, the as the roses settle in, like they're still weirdos, but they, they grow and they change and they, they make a home. So it was interesting for me to go back. I hadn't rewatched anything um, and actually see that starting. Um, the one thing that might keep me from voting into the canon is that there's not enough Stevie who is my favorite, but her scene with David is perfect and very them and very indicative of what the relationship will be. Um, it's iconic Moira and iconic Catherine O'Hara. Um, and I really love the David and Alexis scene. You know, they're weird and they're heightened, but they always feel very real um, to me and also actually very sweet underneath all of the strangeness and the sniping that they do. It, it always words me out that um, Dan Levy's actual sister is on the show, but that's not her. <laughs> she plays somebody else. Um, she's the, <laughs> yeah, she's yoga, the yoga she's, teacher, yeah, right? In this episode. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I, I really, I loved watching this again. Um, I, I think I think that there are later episodes that are more my favorite, but I also think that um, the fruit wine shtick is, um, is very much uh, both a good entry point to the show and sort of iconic of the show's comedy. I mean, <laughs> Riesling Rioja is disgusting. That like, <laughs> I almost want to vote it in just for whoever came up with that. And then was like, yep, that's nasty. Um, <laughs> even if this was only nominated for, Catherine O'Hara, who is basically wearing like updated versions of her costumes from Beetlejuice mm-hmm, and true. doing an Elizabeth Holmes impression from Theranos. <laughs> I don't like, I don't care. And then d- the delivery of Vintner, Vintner. Oh God, it's so good. Like, it, it's really, it's really good. If the actual pitch is like, uh, you know, I want Catherine O'Hara and her performance to be in the canon. I get it. Um, and it did make me want to keep watching, which is one of the hallmark Buncey criteria for a canon. Um, with that said, A, I have no context for this. Um, B, conventional wisdom does say that a later episode of the show would probably be a stronger candidate. Um, C, there are a couple of things in here that are a little hacky, in my opinion. Um, it's my turn to take a selfish Phone system humor is not something I ever want to spend time on again in like scripted entertainment, honestly, even if it's done well, which it is done fairly well. So, I mean, I really liked it. I think it's very funny, but I just I don't know if I have enough context to to vote it in. So, okay, Um, I'll go next. I agree. Catherine O'Hara is 
masterful. She's amazing in this episode. Um, not just in the, you know, the parts that we heard clipped that are hilarious where she's screwing up her lines, but also in between where she's getting ready to do it and she's nervous and trying to get Johnny to stop making things worse by with all his micromanaging. Like there's, you know, she's, she's good in the hilarious sticky stuff and also good in the emotional real stuff too. And Dan, uh, Dan Levy is hilarious and I love David and Alexis together too. I'm also not that the submitter mentioned it, but not mad that we got to see Mutt shirtless. Um, oh, but yeah, I wasn't mad at that either. Good point. <laughs> but that said, I also think that, I mean, the phone cold open felt like it was half an episode long. It just kept yeah. going mm-hmm. on. Still there. And yeah. And I, I mean, I admittedly, I've just said, I haven't watched the whole series, but even in the, the number of episodes that I've seen, I feel like there are ones that stand up better. This one felt like it had one good, good storyline with Moira and the rest was like kind of forgettable and fillery and not so great. So, um, we'll see how things shake out. Dave. All right. Starting the episode with the phone thing really just not a good idea. I mean, I know yeah. we've said it twice, but oh my God, that went on forever. And it's 2019. And they're like, I realized the thing is they live in this hotel now or this motel now and blah, blah, blah. But they do have cell phones. I mean, that's in the show. So they did a really good job making it feel like, I don't know where this actually takes place, but it really feels like Perry Sound or Omimi or something like that up in uh, Cottage Country. I think I've read that they've tried to be careful about not actually being yeah. specific that it's in Canada, but like if you're Canadian, you can tell. So many Canadian shows try to do and fail at it all the time. <laughs> See Orphan Black. They don't claim it somewhere else either. They just don't. They don't say. I know, but that's they do that so they can sell it in the States. I mean, it's right. just like it's a Canadian tradition to, to do that. Anyways, uh, yeah, I did not like this. I don't like this. is like the second episode of this show I've watched and everybody's telling me to watch it. I haven't seen anything that is really indicative of this great show that everybody's telling me to watch um starting off with the phone thing and then like the, the rest of the episode has so many things i don't find funny wine drunk not funny to me at all i i mean i know Catherine O'Hara, everybody loves her and she's a good performer and there are other parts of this episode i thought she was great at that weren't as loud like the best part of this episode is her quietly and dryly delivering the line to her husband you're so good at trying like it's such yes, a great I line <laughs> And then he's like, well, I guess I'll go. She's like, bye. Uh, yeah, that was very good. <laughs> like that stuff I liked. The loud sort of all the stuff that was clipped. I just didn't care. I hate diva characters. Like I tuned out in all the David scenes. Just could not get into this. I think there's something to do with like your station in life and how you need to be drunk in order to make it funny. Like I think the posher you are, the harder the circumstances have to be. Like she needed to be like somebody like accidentally put cocaine in her whatever or something like that. Like there's something about a, like uh, somebody of means or formerly of means being wine drunk that just doesn't doesn't hit comedically with me at all. If conventional wisdom is that this series picks up in season two, so be it. This did not do it for me at all. Um, sorry, I really hate to always bash on a show when it's a user submission, but did not find this one good at all. Apologies to the universe. So I'm done. Want to put this to a vote? Sure. sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, Adam Grossworth. I suspect it won't matter, but I will vote yes. Uh, Sarah Debunting. I know we're always talking about like scene that we should have a scene canon or like a single like line delivery canon. We do not. Um, 
So it's a no for me. But thank you for submitting. And maybe a later season episode would work better. Tara? Yeah, I agree with Sarah. Try, try again um, with something that comes a little further down the line. But I'm, I'm going to vote no on this. But thank you for submitting. Oh, I'm sorry. Three to one. That means... That, unfortunately. Shit's great. Season one, episode six, Wine and Roses. You are hereby not inducted into the extra hot drink can. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. Tar has our winner. Remember when it was announced that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, uh, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, were going to do a show for HBO about uh, what America might be like if the Confederate Army had won and everyone thought, ooh, that's probably not something two white guys should be doing, especially not these two white guys? Well, turns out they've just signed a deal with Netflix, which means HBO doesn't have to do the show anymore. So therefore, our winner <laughs> is HBO, which can walk away from this abortion of an idea. Congratulations to all. Yeah. And loser. Um, speaking of uh, abortions of ideas, whoever decided that Lindsay Lohan should be relied upon to make call times. Uh, apparently, she is throwing tantrums on the set of The Masked Singer Australia. Just a reminder, everyone in the States already understands that this woman should not be hired because she leaves to have a cigarette and does not come back for eight hours. Um, that's what's happening. Apparently, she's also fighting with international treasure Danny Minogue. Girl, do not. Um, the unnamed sources in this article um, on Decider were uh, quite funny about her and how everyone just knows that that's the deal but sometimes they have to like someone has to be sent to retrieve her and then she also has someone hiding behind her chair taking notes like oh lilo <laughs> but find a beach open a club stop doing things that require you know a schedule how is the australian version of that show not called oi who's that singing or something like that <laughs> is she a judge yeah. She yeah. I mean they're not judges, but she's one of the people who's like, I think it's Lady Gaga. Can we yeah. swap her with Jenny McCarthy and then just not bring Jenny McCarthy back to this content? <laughs> That's a good bargain. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Speaking about good bargains, you know what time it is? <laughs> bargain time. Is it game time? Yeah. All right, everybody, this is the fourth game time of the season. Season scores are Tara 2, Value Guess 1, Sarah 0. Today we are playing Would You Care to Try a Sample from Brennan Brazo the Brazier, who earns himself <laughs> an extra credit of his choosing. All right. The game is simple, but its construction was not. So a big thank you to Brennan for going above and beyond with this really fun game time I have been looking forward to playing all week. I am going to play you a song that samples or riffs from a TV show theme. You name the show for a point. That's all there is to the mechanics of the game. Neat. All right. Here's an example for Adam to try. All right. We'll just give this one to Adam. Please wait until the clip is done before answering. Directly from the sector of Bach, we plug you into the tape. Record comedy skit. Uh -huh. Drama skit. Okay, okay. <laughs> Movie skit. I like that one. Double skit. 
All right, for one theoretical point, what's the TV show sampled in that clip? That would be The Muppet Show. Record comedy skit. Listen to that editing. Wow. That is correct. That was uh, <laughs> De La Soul double Huey skit. And that was sampled was the Muppet Show. And that's how we play the game. So let's quickly get the steel mill situation to our area. Thank you, Dave. Uh, Sarah has one steel meal. I have two steel meals. All right. <gasps> I guess I have zero. Let's throw it to Picky to see who is going first. We will start with Sarah. All right. That means our order today is Sarah, Tara, Adam. Are we ready to play? Would you like to try a sample? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. All right. Here we go. Sarah D. Budding, here is your first song. I'd rather have a dream of some story set in some gorgeous place in your gorgeousness. Have been morning sleeps, but I woke up alone. So I went back to sleep. Me and my morning bone would have been on and on. Probably from dust to dawn. Instead, I'm rusting chrome, busting poems, trusting no. Oh, uh, I th- I think it's a I Love Lucy. In some gorgeous place, in your gorgeousness, have been morning sleeps, but I woke up alone. So I'm It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Oh. A beautiful oh, day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? That's incorrect. That was Good Morning Neighbor by Blue and Exile. And I do want to say, in case you're listening with your kids in the car, uh, this show's got some lyrics that uh, tip Morning Gore. Bone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's just that's just the tip, as it were, to what we'll be hearing. Oh, Red Rogers would never. Again. So you have been warned. Parental guidance recommended. You have been warned retroactively. Yes. yes. <laughs> Tari Ariano, here is your first song. I got a call on my cellular phone from the count. I don't like when they smoke on my weed, then they bounce. But actually, right down the block in back of me, snuffle up against the cell and all the crack happily. Y'all didn't know how I met Oscar. You know, Maria, we both done tossed her. He's always pissed off because he lost her. Is it Sesame Street? I don't like when they smoke on my weed, then they bounce. But actually, right down the block in back of me. Sunny day, sleeping up. You are correct. That was Crookie Monster by The Alchemist. And that was Sesame Street sampled. There are also drug references. Enjoy that, parents. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) More to come. Adam Grossworth, here is your first. Now the young guard is insane. We party and hang. We load the car with them things. See it. Start in the vein and make remarkable change. And y'all know for a fact my flow is raw as crack. I could go on tour and back in front of... I know the tune, but I... I don't know what show it is. Um, shit. Is it, not, is it Taxi? No, it's not Taxi. Now the young guard is insane. We party and hang. We load the car with the things. All right, that was Benson. Yeah, it was. Icky. Back to Sarah D. Bunting. One, two, two. What time is it? 428. Plus two minutes avant le goûter. Les siennes fréquences sont dégoûtées. Leur appétit d'or. Cause elles sont trop nues. Un ton cru. Respecte les dégâts du carbo. Soquet de la bonnette. Avec chapeau soquette. Pas d'ailleurs coquette. Mr. Belvedere. One, two, three. What time is it? Yep. Murder, she wrote. 
Yes, Murder, She Wrote, uh, catching up with our artists. Adams was I'm From the Ghetto by Ali Vegas, and that was Le Affaire Hot Dog by ATX. <laughs> All right, back to Tara for your actual question. I don't want to be a player no more. No assault, but I came with a call. But for the love of money, Charlie Wood, it ain't my fault. Right, so there's some limit. My trunk is throw in it. The whole squad is terrorizing cats, there's no limit. And I'm a diplomat. I'm a diplomat. Where my killers at? Where my swiller at? That's why we act like that. All right, what's that TV show sampled there? Uh, is it Barney Miller? Shit. I'm a diplomat. I'm a diplomat. Where my killers at? Where my swiller at? That's why we act like that. Damn like that. it. All right, that was Horse and Carriage by Cameron sampling Night Court. Sure was. All right, Adam <laughs> Grossworth, are you ready? I am. Picture the thighs of a diabetic getting criticized. If you didn't try to vision it, then forget it. Like fix it, then I'm feeling better by the second. Shit doesn't affect me. Well, not directly, unless a Becky or a Leslie says I'm sexy. Take a look at the camera and say cheese. <laughs> Oh, can I hear it again? That aloud. Picture the thighs of a diabetic getting criticized. If you didn't try to vision it, then forget it. Like fix it, then I'm feeling better by the second. Shit doesn't affect me. Well, not directly, unless a Becky or a Leslie says I'm sexy. Take a look at the camera and say cheese. Is it happy days? Well, not directly, unless a Becky or a Leslie says I'm sexy. Monday, Monday, happy days. That's good for a point. That was Moody by Charles Hamilton sampling Happy Days, which you can all you can kind of hear right at the end of that sample. Yeah, he does say it. Fully backwards. That was that was trippy. I think Hmm. it was just cut up very abruptly. It was just stutter cut kind of thing. Sarah D. Bunting, third clue for you right here. Catch up, retouch the S curl hair. Conk and Jerry, hot comb and rollers, diaper bag, do-rag, car seats and strollers. (laughs) (laughs) Hill Street Blues. Like that. Right, that's one point. That was Blues for Percy Carey by Count Basty. And that was Hill Street Booth. Tari Ariano. Yes. Listen up. There was no law, things were insane. In order to survive, you had to be me. Our story starts in notorious Queens. Two gang leaders found to me the ultimate conclusion. One's defeat. They ruled their turf with an iron hand. Is it? Inspector Gadget? That's what I would have guessed. I don't have a steel mail. You don't. No. Yeah. But do you want to provide the answer? Is it Dragnet? Oh, you're so smart. Oh, of course. Nicely done. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. 
All right, that was Dragnet. Tara didn't get it, though, so no points there for you. That was Drag Rap by the Showboys. <laughs> and uh, that was like one like layer removed from Paul F. Tompkins and uh, doing a rap on uh, Comedy Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, back to Adam. Here you go. Do a can of oil. I used to run around with a stick and aluminum foil. Had to fall back because my mama blood pressure would boil. Sorry, used to run with Universal, but that shit was wing. Now with Koch, I think I'll cop everything. I'll play. I aim at your head and say, I think that's the People's Court. Yeah. Anybody? All right. Here's an answer. I'll play. I aim at your head and say, wouldn't you like to get away? Oh, oh wow. Shit. We're all in trouble. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. That was Everything You Got by D-Block sampling Cheers. Cheers. All right. Stereo Debunting, your next song is here. Oh, picky. You're so kind. I believe that this is different strokes. <laughs> He's a man of means. All right, that uh, was My Friend Arnold by Fabri Fibra. I'm assuming from <laughs> okay. somewhere in Italy. And that is Different Strokes. Tara Ariano, your next song is here. Pay attention, call me Meryl, because I'm about to be lynching. And I forgot to mention, my animal instincts <laughs> won't allow no flinching. See, cause... Price is right. That honestly should be sampled more. It's pretty funky. Yeah. There was a club mix of it like 20 years ago. Love it. She says authoritatively. (laughs) Kill me. That was My Flows is Tight by Lord Digga. Digga with a D. (laughs) With a D. All right. This is uh, Adam's. (laughs) Next question, and then we'll go into our first score break. They're coming to take me away, ha-ha. They're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee-ha-ha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. And I'll be happy to see those nice young men with their clean white coats. They're coming to take me away, ha-ha. Doctor Who. The clean white nice. coats. They're coming to take me away, ha-ha. actually heard this song before. Never would have gotten that. And that is good for one point for Adam. So, Tara Ariano, let us hear the scores. It's very close. Sarah and Adam have two points each. I have three. All right. So that means Sarah and Adam, you are jointly (gasps) in. Oh, boy. The Grossworth Equalizer Challenge Zone. And I don't want to break up the song, so I'm going to give you another song to tag team it is not by the tag team but you can tag team it and uh, you will share the two points so you get one okay. point Come on. okay 
here you go. Listen to the song. Tell me what show it is sampling. The biscuit is rocking the set. It's like Russian roulette when you're placing your bet. So don't be upset when you're broke and you're done. Because I'm going to be the one till I check. I'm going to be the one till I check. I know what you want to hear. I know what you want to hear. All right. What's that TV show being sampled in that song? Uh, Any I don't know. Ideas? It's like almost there, but I can't get it. You want it, to hear it again? I can do that. Yeah, play you. it again. Sure. Yeah, sure. Here you go. The biscuit is rocking the set. It's like Russian roulette when you're placing your bet. So oh. don't be upset when you're broke and you're done. Because I'm going to be the one till I check. I'm going to be the one till I check. I know what you want to hear. All right. I think Adam might know it. Adam, what do you think it is? I think it's Mission Impossible. Sarah, do you? I defer to, to you. Okay. The biscuit is rocking the set. It's like Russian roulette when you're placing your bet. Well done. It indeed is Mission Impossible, so we're going to add one point to both Sarah and Adam's score. So I well, think that's Adam. all tied up. Thank you, Sarah. Yep, that's right. Could not be closer. We are all tied up with three points each. This will be our halfway through the game question for Sarah D. Bunting. Listen up. A design for a way of living so revolutionary, so groundbreaking, that its very concept posed a threat to the fabric of society. A threat even greater than that of having a stiffy while standing in the middle of a Glyn Williams coach full of nuns. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, kids. Um, Dallas. That its very concept posed a threat to the fabric of society. All right, Sarah D. Bunting pulling ahead with the correct answer there, Dallas. That was the manifesto by Goldie Looking Chain. Let's see, I got a little catch to do. They're coming to take me away, Doctor Who song by Neurotic Fish. Take a look around by Limp Biscuit was our or is our equalizer song. All right, back to the game, Tara. Well, I better get this one so that Sarah doesn't steal meal it. I believe that is Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, it is. Maybe. Indeed, Unsolved Mysteries, sampled in the song Stomp by 3-6 Mafia. Adam Grossworth, get this to stay tied with everybody else. I'm going to be mad. You will be mad if you don't get it. I will say don't overthink it and let's listen to it again. Any idea what show's being sampled there? No, it's super short. It's just a loop of like the whole thing, and I cannot think of what it is. All right, here's your answer. The machine of Jimmy Alvina, Trey, 50, a D, Twizzy, OB, and just let it be. Oh, okay. 
That one's either really tough or really hard, depending on where your brain was. It took me, but the first time I heard it, I was like, that is a sample of that. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. And the, also the song is called Gatman and Robin by 50 Cent featuring Eminem. Of course, Still going to bother me what I thought it was, but yeah. maybe it'll Tough one there. All right. Adam is now one point behind the pack. Sarah D. Bunting, your next song is this. In the middle, it's fresh and stunner, and we like brothers. We shine like pink, daddy. It's our summer. Get up, girls. We the bitch out with coaches. Ain't got no job, but I stay shy. Uh, Gilligan's Island. Like pink, daddy. It's our summer. Get up, girls. Gilligan's Island is correct. That was Still Fly by Big Timers. Tari Ariano, this is question 17. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Man, that's life, you want me down with the threesome. Tease him, ladies, please him. When I'm out of town, you my pants got to crease him. All cards valley, never Oh. I'll play it again for you if you want. Rent CIS. Steel Meal. Steel Meal from Sarah D. Buddy. Magnum PI. Uh, really good use of a steel mill there, putting you mm-hmm. uh, two ahead. Bye, that- everybody. I have to go sleep on the lawn. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that was 357, a uh, second appearance by Cameron in this game. That was Magnum P.I. All right. Adam Grossworth, are you ready? Yes. That seems unfair. Mm, there's lots of good yeah. clues in there. <laughs> yeah. We did Dragnet already. The Untouchables? The Untouchables. Mm. Incorrect. Not the unfair I was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here is your answer. Underground. Uh, there was that, but there was also this at the end of the. Uh, yeah, there was the. To the Los Angeles Underground. Today, still wanted by the government. Yep. All right, incorrect there, Adam. This is. Question 19 for Sarah D. Bunting. That's fucking awesome. Beverly Hills, comma, 90210. <laughs> this is going to be the greatest transition ever. Yeah! <laughs> you are thankfully correct. I don't know what would have happened yeah. if you didn't get that one. That was Call on Me on by lawn. DJ Falcon. Call on me. Tara. 
Your next question. Listen up. God, I know I should know. Oh, wait, is it the Munsters? You are correct. That was Uma Thurman by Fallout Boy sampling the Munsters. Dave, did you edit these or did Brennan? He did most of them. I did a couple. You masterfully done for both. Yes, really these well are done. Amazing. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. I thought maybe it was going to be friends because of the hand claps and then it oh. took that turn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did like 95% of these and I just added a couple here and Amazing there. Amazing work for continuity. Uh, all right. Adam Grossworth, here is yours. And then we'll go into our second score break. I'm smoking everywhere I go. No sticks, no seeds, just Al Green. I always gotta keep one more. I keep that, need that, got that. I'm blowing every gram um, I gotta say, I I kind of knew what this one was, but it's a little. We're a little old for this one. Yeah, it's yeah. So many of these are so close, but I'm not gonna pretend I know it. So, buzz. No sticks, no seeds, just Al Green. You're watching uh, cartoons, I guess in the in the 90s, you would have seen X-Men, the animated series. Oh, yeah, no, oh, okay. never heard that in my life. No way. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right, that is our sex score break. Let's hear the scores, please, Tari Ariano. All right. Uh, Sarah is in the lead with seven. I have five. Adam has three. All right, Adam. That means you are in the Adam Grossworth Equalizer <laughs> Challenge Zone, as it probably was fated Woo. to be. All right. No sharing this time. Answer this correctly. You get two points. Listen up. Here is your song. Speaking nope. about one that isn't sampled enough, frankly. Want to hear it again? I know the artist, but not the song. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? I like my past to sag. Make you say tag. Uh, that little nigga is so bad. The capital, capital K's don't play. We amaze and make it move and groove in so many different ways. Jump, jump, jump. was jump. the first step of song. To put you in the mode and let you know I flow like that, y'all. All right. What's that sample? Is it what's happening? It's a good guess. Your answer right, is right. Vintage. There it is. There's. Oh, Barney. it is Barney. Yeah. I thought we'd done Barney Miller already, but that was a that was a wrong guess. Damn it. Yeah. That was crisscross way of the rhyme sampling Barney Miller. All right, no changes to score. Everybody has two questions left Ooh. 
Sarah D. Bunting, here are yours. By the way, um, according to Brennan, our difficulty has been raising as we've been going along. So that you're getting less here towards the end of the game is by design. So keep that in mind as we listen to this. Sarah D. Bunting. There's another Paul F. Tompkins special there. <laughs> um, can I hear it again, please? You sure can. Oh my god! I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mad. Um, shit. Well, it's not Knight Rider. Um, let's say Falcon Crest or Dynasty. Okay, that's not what I thought it was at all. The only thing anybody remembers from the movie remake from a few years ago, that SWAT, is the oh, SWAT yeah. theme. No. Uh, All right, that was a tough one. Tara, I think this is a tough one, too, for you. Are you ready? Yes. Respect to the six, you sexy with a switch. Gun never stick with vixens for the quick shots lit. So the good news is, it's sampled a lot. The bad news is, it's not the most well-known okay, game. Okay, uh, I don't know. Hawaii Five-O. Correct. Respect to the six, you sexy with a switch. Gun never stick with vixens for the quick shots lit. That was Policewoman. Oh, okay. Sure. All right. Uh, Sarah's was I'm Bad by LL Cool J, sampling SWAT. That was No Said Date, Master Killer, sampling Policewoman. All right. Uh, Adam Ghostworth, I think you stand a chance at this one. I rock the mic and make the crowd say ho. People, if you're ready to ride, then let's go. The older the wine, the more vintage each sentence. Mature like stock dropped on beat. Soul in as high as peak, the Black Panther. Follow for the answer, the shadow dancer. Is that Sanford and Son? Ooh, yeah, sentence, sure. Mature like stock dropped on beat. Soul in as high as peak, the Black Panther. Was Sanford and Son? You are correct. Mastakilla featuring Dirty Little Bastard. FYI, everybody's last question. Starting with Sarah. Okay, 
streets are keeping it rough. There's just too many of us. You can rush, you can. Hmm. One day at a time. Slam Harder by Onyx, sampling Welcome Back, Carter. Uh, Carter, not Carter. Tara, scores quickly, please, because I've lost track. Curious okay, well, we're... Sarah has clinched it. She has seven. I have five. Adam has four. All right. Tara, your next song. Supernatural. Oh. Oh. Sarah, do you want to take a stab at this one? It's Knight Rider. That was, oh, what is this song? I E A I A I O by System of a Down. Sampling Knight Rider. Last question of the regulation for Adam Grossworth. Here you go. Timberland never walk in the place you can't walk out. Getting rude in the place with a gun in my waist and just might pop out. With a straight arm, bullet stomp with your fat bomb to the animals. Jump out. No justifications. Why my song question like that? Jigga what? Additional hint of sorts. This might be one that only I would get. With today's audience. Okay. Yeah. Woo Assassins. Yes, Woo Assassins. You are correct. <laughs> it is not. Any idea what that is, though? Yeah, but let's move on because I've already lost. With a straight arm, bullet stomp, with your fat bomb to the animals. That is the prisoner. It oh, sounds like something yeah. else to me in this game. Yeah. So, you know. That was We Added Again by Timbaland and Magoo, featuring Static Major and Sebastian, don't you know? All right, final scores, Finally. please, Tar Ariana. Okay, everyone finished strong. Adam had four, I had five. Sarah is our victor with seven. All Ooh. right, well done. The game isn't even close to being really done. We got some little extra bonuses here for you. So let's play them out. First, our tiebreaker. And uh, we'll play this for a steel meal for a future use. As soon as you know the show being sampled, give a shout. First person to get it right wins the steel meal. Here we go. All right, Tara was in first with Inspector yes. Gadget. Inspector by Jane Sampling Inspector Gadget Alright, here's our last one This is for big points, guys This is how it's going to work I've got a song that covers A TV show theme I'm going to read you some lyrics from the song And then I'm going to give you each a few guesses About what TV show you think Is going to be played Before I play it, (laughs) alright? Okay So here we go 
tell me why do we keep playing games when we all know his coming is so soon? No one knows the hour or the day, nor in the night or the afternoon. Now here's the chorus. But he's coming, coming, back again, again. He's coming, coming, back again, again. Get it straight. Don't delay. Don't you say we didn't warn you. One more. Have you been watching CNN? People, won't you pay attention? We're getting closer to the end. Straighten up. Fly right. Get your house in order. Oh, my God. Nope. What theme do you think is paired with this end time gospel warning <laughs> song? Millennium. John from Cincinnati. Uh, leftovers. All right. We're going to play the song. Here we go. Right, nobody guessed the correct answer. That was family feud. Was, of course, you got it after, but that wasn't how we were doing it. You had to guess it oh, before. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That for me was a song. I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is the dumbest, most amazing, excellent thing I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> wow, Tonex uh, with games live. All right. <laughs> Survey says yikes. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah. Congratulations, Sarah. And uh, I just got to say, stay tuned for the outro. We got a little uh, extra song that didn't really fit in the game, but you got to stick with it. It is a piece of amazing daring do. All right, guys, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We cashed in our chips for the third season of Glow before going around the dial, where Tara introduced us to the family. Adam asked, so you think you could dance? Sarah answered with a last tango in Halifax. And Dave survived. (laughs) Woo, assassins. We noted which classic shows could have used a musical episode in our extra credit topic. And Sean was kind of up Schitt's Creek for his canon nomination of season one's Wine and Roses. We crowned winners and losers of the week. And Sarah was a winner of this week's sampled game time. Remember... We're listening. Ah. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, nobody talks my show except Cher, and she has Sarah D. Bunting. I know, John, you're so good at trying. And Adam Grossworth. It was the best feeling I've had in my life until the hate crime. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great.
Whoa. Whoa. Why? Grammy Award winner. Well, this is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're gonna love. Welcome to the Naked Scientists. What is a panic attack? You might get to see a hedgehog. I'm the world's first IVF baby. What a wonderful time to be alive. We're landing on the moon. <laughs> Every week, our podcast covers cutting-edge news, great stories, and hands-on science. Science. And that is to say, physics, medicine, nature, or space, time, the brain, life, the universe. Subscribe to The Naked Scientists on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.